Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and today... Our good friend and Bible teacher, Donna Van Leer, joins us again this week as we jump back into the book of Revelation. But um, also, kind of a fun thing that happened this week, Darren released a book. Yes. You released a book after, I don't know, a year and a half worth of compiling yeah. and ideas and sketching out. Yes. Yeah, so, so here's the thing, and Donna knows this because she's, ri- she's written books. But I just want to say this uh, to all the kids. <laughs> Writing a book is hard, Donna. I don't know how you do it. Like Donna just cranks out books. Well, I mean, writing a book report was hard, you know, right? In high school. Yeah. I mean, it was like it felt almost like shoving a ham out of my nose. It just <laughs> didn't want to go, but I knew it had to get out. Right. You eventually so, got it out. Yeah. I used to tell like our artists, like if you don't don't make a record until you have something to say. Yeah. And. I think that's where I finally came with this, this idea that I had years ago, which is that Romans 12, the spiritual gifts of Romans 12 are like their own category. They're like somewhere between a spiritual gift and a personality profile. And a, it's, it's, it's more than just like a parlor trick that you get to, you know, cause what is it? Uh, when you take the spiritual, you guys ever take the spiritual gifts test mm-hmm. at a church, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the main reason they're doing that is they want to know where they're going to make you serve. Uh, in the church, so you know, uh, and they give this list, and it's got like 21 gifts on it. And anyway, I I realize that there's actually three separate lists in the New Testament, and there are three separate lists because there's three separate categories. Uh, and the Romans 12 ones is what this book is about. It's the power of the seven. It's the name of the book because it's the idea that these seven gifts that each of us has one. Like I've got one. Mo has one. Donna has one. Micah sitting over there has one. And and the beauty of it, because it says, so Romans uh, 12, verse 1, 2, 3, offer yourself a living sacrifice, yada, yada. Then you'll know his will for your life, verse 3. And the very next verses are the, his will for your life, which are these seven gifts. Yeah. And then it goes on to refer to those as the body of Christ. So that's what it is. Each, each of us has one, and we're working together in, in unity in the body of Christ, that there's a power in that that he created specifically for us. And so, yeah, that's the, that's the basic. Mm-hmm. And well, what's uh, your gift? What is your gift? So the, the gift that I have, it's, uh, if you read Romans 12, it says teaching, which doesn't sound very exciting. Um, I didn't want it. Like when I was younger, I really didn't want that one. But as I dug into it, it's like, it's not just teaching, it's discerning, it's connecting dots. It's like yeah. connection, it's discerning. So we, I, I created names for each of the gifts just to make them uh, more relatable. Uh, yeah. They're not translations, it's just like an interpretation of it. So I would, I would call that the discerner. Uh, is, is what I had. Yeah, I took the test. Well, you have a little test that comes along with it to yeah. kind of help narrow things down, which is awesome. And I'm a guardian. Yeah, that so checks out. Gift. I'm a guardian. And you've mentioned that kind of in passing over the past few podcasts, actually. You know, Mo's, Mo's the guardian. Yeah. And that's that's in reference to this book a little bit. Kind yeah. Of one of the chapters and um, in one of the gifts that you cover. Yeah, so you get into that and it says the gift of... Like if it, I think King James says administration, or one of them says leading, one of them, mm-hmm. you know, it's these different words, but it's when you get behind it, it's actually a business term in Greek 
that is about protecting, like mm. protecting the numbers, protecting the integrity, protect. So when Mo uh, is thinking about what could possibly go wrong and making plans about it, like that's the guardian gift yeah. that's right there in the scripture. And I think Donna, did you hit discerner on yours? I did. Yeah, I would be shocked nice. if you did not. I did. Yep, that's where I landed. Yeah, and if you've been around Donna, that's because that. I mean, she connects dots from anywhere from Ezekiel to Matthew to Revelation. And it's also why she writes really great books, probably. Uh, <laughs> sitting with a couple of discerners. A couple of discerners. <laughs> and we think, Micah, would you be, what are you, are you a guardian? Visionary. Vision, oh, ah. the bulldozer. That makes sense. Micah tested yeah. visionary. Yeah, the first gift is actually called prophecy. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, so 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, all three of those lists have prophecy in them, but they're all three separate things. Uh, and that one is just the guy that just sees things girl that sees things. Michaela, our uh, youth pastor's wife, she is a visionary uh, all day long. But mm. You don't wonder what Michaela is thinking because she <laughs> just said it. Uh-huh. Uh, and they just make stuff happen, which is totally Micah, whether it's on the football field or uh, sitting in here. Well, uh, I, have, I have read up through chapter four and you talk about Gerald Lafleur, who's a visionary. Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah. I That's finished cool. that chapter last night. Did you, it was the, he was the first guy that I ever met that, and I thought when we were making the book, each chapter, there's, each gift has its own chapter. I did put that because I wanted to tell their stories. And I couldn't think of a better guy than him because that, that dude is a bulldozer visionary, man. Like he, I mean, mm. literally right now in Haiti, once again, because it's, it's freaking Haiti, like something else is going on, and he's just right on the cusp of it, just bulldozing through and fixing. And we're about to break ground on a school. Oh, cool that uh, it's been in his heart and his mind for 15 years. Will this be the middle school or the high school? Yeah, so... Secondary school? Well, so so it'll be the secondary. So, and by the way, there is a school already. So right. we were, I mean, 10 years ago after the earthquake, there was this lot next door where some humanitarian organization had just put a tent up and left. That was it. It was just a tent. Mm. So he's like, I bet we could, we could put the school right there. and We don't even own the land, but we'll make a school. <laughs> And like Bob and Carol Carlion, they're down there like yeah. building wood. And so this, there's already a school. We've just added a grade every year. Mm. Uh, and we're out of places to put things and people. So we bought a piece of land across the street because visionaries see land. They don't see dirt. They see opportunity. So mm-hmm. he's, uh, we bought this land. Uh, we're going to fly down there. I better put this on the calendar, Mo. I think I forgot to tell you this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go down, I think, in February. Okay. Uh, and Phil Dietz from Tulsa is going to join us. He's been listening to the podcast. And then uh, Jim Henderson and Mike Howard are going to go Nice. get the architect's eyes on it. But yeah, a visionary that mm-hmm. this school already has 300 kids. This will give us the ability to have 700 kids. Wow. Um, and we've already got half of the money raised for it. So, That's awesome. um, so anyway, yeah, yeah. Mm. Visionary all day long. Awesome. Well, your opening, uh, chapter is just incredible. Describing <sighs> a heart attack in church and how yeah. people jumped in and just became, were the body of Christ that day. It's such a strong opening chapter. And as I, as I read through them, I thought like Jana Christopher, you said that she wrote down things that happened. And I thought, I would never have thought to do that. In a million years, I would right. have thought to do that. <laughs> right. And in the middle of the crisis, she was writing yeah. everything down, yeah. what people were doing. While her husband is giving chest compressions, right. he, she's writing stuff down, right? I'd have right. been in a fetal position, right? I almost wasn't a fetal position. I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know, you know. But here's what, I don't know that I've actually, uh, I, I didn't actually remember this until about a week ago. But the week before that Sunday in, in 2014, 
was one of the very first times I taught the idea of these seven spiritual gifts. Oh, really? The Sunday before. Mm. And I had somebody walk in with a glass of water. Uh, and they were, uh, I asked them to give me a glass of water, but their job was to trip and to spill it all over. And then how everybody, everybody responded, that was like my, that was my big idea. Like, here's how you know probably what your gift is, you know? And so right. like the collaborators jumped up, like Joe Spino, he's running for a mop, you know, my <laughs> uh, the, the responders are like, you know, oh man, we want to get to them and hug them and love on them. And visionaries are just mad about it, you know, but, <laughs> but that was the idea. And like the next Sunday, we need to verify that it would be in the okay. podcast in there. We'll yeah. go back and look was when that happened. I was like, I should have just waited a week because we we're going to get our own example. I didn't have, right. to have somebody you right. know, to rig it with. A, so anyway, well, my uh, 17-year-old daughter started reading it on Sunday, and we actually had to make her put it down and say... That's super meaningful. Really? Say, a 17-year-old? Yes, and say, Aww. stop reading the pastor's book and study for your humanities exam. <laughs> you know, and say, stop reading. <laughs> it great. is a humanities exam. That's what it is. Yes, <laughs> right. exactly seven. what it is. That's actually really meaningful. Yeah. Like, a kid actually liked my book. Wow. Yes, yes. But you, but you know, Donna, like, when you do that, like, you write this thing, and you... First of all, I don't know if anybody's ever going to read it, but then there's the other part of like, you know, in the studio when you're making a record, I mean, Mo knows this and you do too, right? But every song is a hit until you release it, right? And then you figure, okay, well, I really, you know, I can't even tell you how many hits I had that we got out in the record and the world said, nope, that's not even a record at all. But it is a weird feeling to have spent this much time and energy on something and now... Like, I'm not doing a concert, so I don't even know how people are responding to it, you know, but I'm just praying that it... Yeah, you know, sure. My prayer is that it actually empowers them the way that it has helped me. Like, Absolutely. understanding these gifts has made me a better husband. Like, mm-hmm. when I finally realized that my wife's spiritual gift was not my enemy, like, it wasn't what was wrong with her, like when she'd come in her little collaborator mode, like I would actually feel a lot of shame around that. Cause I can't keep up with that. Like mm-hmm. she's a tornado. And so I would either squash it or I would hide from it. And now I think I might get cover your ears, but I think, I think it's kind of hot. Like when she, comes in, <laughs> like when she's in collaborator mode, like she was this morning out there figuring stuff out. I was like, Hey, hey baby. Uh, but it, it's helped me be a better parent. Helped me be a better husband. And I just, I hope that it does that for others as well to realize that like the spiritual gift is God healing something broken in you that was supposed to be what was right about you from before the fall and him restoring it is the gift. That's why it's called a spiritual gift. And we call it, I've called them life gifts because they're like how we move through this life with it. So, and actually if you've never taken the test, um, mylifegift.com it's free I don't want your money just go take the test I would love to hear uh, from you guys what your what your gifts are uh, yeah from it so yeah mylifegift.com yeah mylifegift.com it sounds like a time life uh, like we're gonna sell like the greatest hits of the 80s sung by Barry Manilow Pat Boone yeah (laughs) mylifegift.com well somebody else wrote a, a book and we're talking about it all these years later and that's John Book of Revelation, right. <laughs> and six months later, we're still talking about it. We've entered into the last chapter of the Book of Revelation. Can you believe it? Um, yeah, I kind of can. Um, and Micah, Micah earlier was like, "When are we going to be done with Revelation?" <laughs> are we done he's, yet? Just, he's just speaking for the rest of the world. But. Are we there yet? Yeah. So Revelation twenty-two, um, which is is the last chapter in Revelation, and um, it's the culmination of a lot of things. 
And so, yeah, we're going to dive into that today. Yeah, the thing about Revelation, when we started this, we kind of ask ourselves the question, um, do we think that it's time? I mean, do we... And of course, six months ago, did we think it was you know time? Are we getting close to the time of the return of Christ? Is this is this the end of the days? You know, and that I, mean, I had a conversation with a friend from New York this last week. Is it, is this it, Darren? Are we there? And it seems like actually there's two kinds of people out there. There are those who are like, is this it? Is that is this? It? And then there are the well, they've, they've, they've thought that before anyway. Everybody's thought that over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, why now? It's almost like head in the sand and. I was thinking about it in like First Thessalonians five twenty when it, he says, "Don't despise uh, prophecy," and he's referring to, "Don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecy." Don't he's kind of he had just talked a little bit about what's happening and when the mm-hmm. return of Christ would come, and so for those that despise the Book of Revelation or despise the idea of it, he's just saying, "Don't do that. Um, it, it's not helpful for you. Uh, it quenches the spirit." I do think that we are uh, in, in those times, and we're going to go over what we've got. And there's five. And by the way, if you can think of others, for sure, you can do it on social media or email us. Uh, if we haven't, but for, for the sake of our hour and not going like three hours, we're, we're going to at least just yeah. give you five today. Yeah, because there's a lot more than five. Right. For sure. Uh, here, here's what I was thinking um, as we were going into today. Because Mo was saying, he just had a conversation with somebody that who just just didn't really know what was going on in the world, and they're saying, "Well, I'm kind of starting to wake up now. I'm kind of starting to." I was reminded of First Chronicles twelve, uh, verse thirty-two. David was on the run from Solomon, Solomon from Saul, <laughs> he not yet Solomon, right. uh, on the run from Saul, and uh, they start listing out the men of Israel that were there to help, mm-hmm. and they, from Gilead, there's like fifty thousand all this, but there was this little group from Issachar. The tribe of Issachar, and there were only 200 listed, and it says that the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And that is who we get to be, uh, those who understand the times and know what to do. Not very many of us out there, and that's okay. Like There literally is no shame for those that don't know. Our job is not that we're smarter or whatever. It's us just knowing our gift in our lane, our guardians and discerners. When you think of the spiritual gifts, that's yeah. kind of what we do. And we're understanding the times and what we should do. And so for those of you that are listening and wondering and getting woke up and things like that, that's part of our spiritual gift to you is to understand that and then to encourage you uh, as we end with this. And here's what we're supposed to do. Like if, if this is the time we live in, then this is what we're supposed to do. And we're going to... We're going to end with that today. But when I look at this um, and the question, I mean, uh, Donna on one of our social media posts this week uh, had one of those classic responses of, well, people have thought that forever, that, that, it's, ne- that it's soon. Why now? Mm-hmm. Why, would, why is it now? Why is now any different? You know. And you look in Revelation 22, Jesus did say, you know, behold, I come quickly. And that was 2,000 years ago. Thankful for Peter who said that he's not slow, as some understand slowness. He's patient, and he wants everyone to come to salvation. Day is like a 1,000 years. 1,000 years is like a day. Technically been two days in the God's calendar. But the word quickly, the word tahu in Greek, um, is where we get our word tachometer from. Uh, 
uh, and a tachometer as it's revving up. Like the, it's, it's not that it all happens immediately. It's just that as it starts happening, it's going to really start happening. And don't you guys think like the last year, like there's just, I mean, a lot going on all at once. Right. Right. Donna was just talking about that. I mean, Donna, don't you think that what we're seeing right now and then News that you, you said that's like six. That's so six hours ago. In <laughs> right, <the news>. right. <laughs> it is every everything every, uh, from Matthew twenty four. If you read the signs that Jesus talked about, they're not only happening; they're all happening together, with the exception of the temple being built, because he mentions the temple, mentions the Antichrist being set up inside the temple. Um, with the, with those ex- exceptions. Everything is happening at once. There's a great convergence that never happened when my grandparents were living. It just didn't happen. But we're the generation that's seen it. When Jesus said, this generation shall not pass away until all these things happen, we're the generation that is seeing all those things happen. And in regards, and I get that same question a lot. Well, theologians, religious people have said this is happening for, you know, hundreds Mm -hmm. of years now. What makes it different now? And I know we're going to get into it later, but the key is Israel. Yeah. Well, that's number one. Right. Right. When we put our list of five together. Yeah. Like the one thing we have right now that they didn't have in the 1900s. So those who were around Mm -hmm. World War One or even World War Mm Two that thought the end was coming. The one thing that was not happening was there was no Israel. Right. Like we sort of take for granted. I do that. There was, you know, we can, we can go to Israel. In fact, I've got a, should Jesus tarry, I've got a trip scheduled tentatively for us to go to Israel in 2022 in February. There was no Israel to go to in the 1900s, but in right. 1948, Israel became a nation. Mm-hmm. And that when you see in Revelation 11, 1 and 2, he's saying uh, he was given a measuring rod like a staff and told, rise, measure the temple of God and the altar and worship there. There's a temple, and there's an because there's an Israel like mm-hmm. that. That is going to happen in a place called Israel, and now we have Israel. Right, we have we have Israel. We don't have the temple yet, but we have everything else for the temple. Everything's prepared. Yeah. Well, so we were so we were in Israel right before the Corona. Um, I was walking around singing "My Corona" with no idea what was coming. <laughs> that did not age well at all. Um, but they're telling us over there that, like, sacrifice is returning. That there are priests right now that mm-hmm. are getting everything needed for the temple, and the only thing left are the are the blocks and the bricks. Right. Exactly. Left. And Donna, and I should have prepped you for this question, but isn't there something in this one of the treaties that that refers to the Temple Mount differently than it did before that would make room for? You know, I think, yes, you're right, but I can't remember what it is either. Yeah. There was something in it that the language Mm -hmm. was such that it was different than what it was before that made a little bit of wiggle room for a temple. But not the least of which, though, was me standing over there. And there's this place when you stand on the Temple Mount and our guide, Catherine, was singing one of the psalms over it and watching around because she could have been beaten and arrested and kicked off the mountain for Mm -hmm. singing uh, that. And there's this place where this rock pokes through that they say is where... Abraham, the rock, Mariah, all that that pokes out the side. And um, one of the things that's really interesting is that if you uh, look at some of the measurements, some of the experts, there is a growing body of evidence that where the Temple Mount, uh, the the Al-Aqsa Mosque is located, is not where the Temple was. It's actually where the outer courts was. Mm -hmm. 
a growing and Catherine was like, yeah, there's a lot of evidence to that, that, that people are saying that. So when you see revelation 11, one and two rise and measure the temple of God on the altar and those who worship there, but, but listen, but do not measure the court outside the temple, leave that out for it has been given over to the Gentiles and they will trample on the Holy city for 42 months. The idea right now of a, of a mosque and a temple side by side is unimaginable. Right, just you can't even imagine. Mm. You can't even sing or hold hands with your spouse without getting smacked over the head by Palestinian police. But if that turns out to be true and proven, and they could build a temple side by side with a mosque, you could see how that could even happen. Like it literally is possible moving into the future, especially with these peace treaties, which we'll talk about momentarily. Mm. But uh, but Israel alone, nineteen forty eight. Right. So it'll be in on May 14th of 2021, it'll be 73 years old. And Jesus said, this generation shall not pass away. So how long is a generation? Is what we have to, yeah. uh, I get that question a lot. How long is a generation? Well, Moses said we could live 70 years by strength of years. We could live 80. So that was narrows down the window just a little that bit, na- right? That narrows uh-huh. it down. Of course, pe- people do live long, but we don't live a hundred years. Right. We don't, we don't live that anymore. No. Um, we, except for Phyllis Weil, if you're listening, she's going to live to be like 120. <laughs> <laughs> she's still going strong. But you know, I think what Jesus is saying is when you see, when you see Israel, when you see that fig, that fig tree blossom, because that was, um, symbolically used to yeah. represent Israel throughout the Bible. When you see it, when you see it blossom, start paying attention because the clock is ticking. And so and, we know and, the clock's ticking. And you can look over these last 70 years and see things that were like fascinating unfolding. I was, to, I'm almost embarrassed to say this out loud, but Mo, I know I'm safe with you. Um, I, I texted Donna too, but <laughs> I was watching a documentary called The Phenomena. Um, oh yeah, that's right. On Amazon. And it's this, it's, here's how you know it's legitimate. The narrator is Peter Coyote, Coyote who's like the guy that does all oh, the PBS. He's got the best voice. Oh, I want him to narrate my life, right? <laughs> so if it's Peter Coyote, you know it's got to be legitimate. But they were, and it was about, it's about space aliens, you know, Joe Rogan recommendation. <laughs> but what was mind blowing about it, right? First of all, these are like, it's like the, this collection of everybody from children in a school in Zimbabwe, Air, Air Force pilots. Like people that are like, these people are either lying or they did see something. There's literally no middle ground on this. But what jumped out at me, it was on the elliptical, uh, just try not to be fat. That's that's my, I have one goal in life right now. Just don't be fat. (laughs) I'm losing the battle, but I'm on the elliptical and they said June, 1947, they were talking about the sighting uh, of this airline pilot. And it was this very vivid thing and the description and the, and the guy says, I looked up and it was like a, a wheel in the sky, but the sunlight, it made it look like it was a fire on the sky. And I was like, man, is it Ezekiel? The fire and a fire, the wheel and a wheel, Ezekiel one that's on fire. And it jumped out at me the way he described it. And then I thought June, 1947, that was the year that the Palestinians, like the, I'm sorry, that NATO decided we want to make Israel a country. Like World War II is over. Mm-hmm. Suddenly Israel is on the move. Like that was, the, and then by the fall when the Palestinians were, uh, the Arabs, there was no Palestinians, but the Arabs were beginning to attack and, uh, and more sightings were happening. 1948, Israel's <laughs> a nation. There's like clusters oh of sightings. And if you believe, which I'm beginning more and more to believe, that these sightings are 
demonic presences making their like coming through the time space continuum. I mean, I don't know what I think a demon looks like, mm -hmm. but they're not just like disembodied Caspers, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know how they get from here to there. I don't right. know if they're in mm -hmm. a, a thing or not, if they just float in or out like Superman or if they're like, you know, Battle of the Super Friends where they have to have a ship. I don't know. All I know is those people saw something that is either real or it's not. And if it's real, then we have to figure out what it is. And if you look back to Genesis, uh, the, the Nephilim, the sons of God mm -hmm. and the, the daughters of man, all that, there's something was happening on the earth then that they just seemed to think was normal. And if in this time that something's happening, it, isn't it just a wild coincidence that the same month and year that Israel began to become a nation, that demonic forces would begin to appear on the earth yeah. again? Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating thought. I have no biblical back, you know, ground other than it's a thus saith the Darren. Mm -hmm. Feel free to dig deep into your five hole or feel free to turn off the podcast at this point. Right. I think I've lost my mind. Well, when you think about it, I mean, all hell really would have broken loose when they, when yes. Israel became a nation again. Yes. Because for 1900 years, they had been occupied. It was occupied territory. It wasn't even considered a country. Yes. Up until that point. There was, they had all sorts of occupiers. Yeah. I mean, they, they had the, the Ottoman Empire, uh, the Crusaders, uh, Muslims, mm -hmm. Arab. There was, they had one occupying force after another for 1900 years. And when you read Ezekiel 6, which I think is so fascinating because God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the land. And, yeah. and just read it yourself. But he says, you know, the nations will say, aha. I have, I have, I have, you know, I am in control of you. I have possessed you, that sort of thing. But God says, oh no, I'm bringing my people back on you. Yeah. And you're going to, and you're going to be, you're going to be better than you were before when his people go back on the land. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. The land was miserable. It was desolate. Mark Twain visited in 1867 and he, trip and he would have written a scathing review on TripAdvisor for that trip. <laughs> his to, Yelp review to Israel, because he used Nothing. terrible adjectives yeah. about the land. But when the Jews went back, the land flourished, and it continues to flourish. Continues. It's fascinating, yeah. right? When you see what they've grown out of nothing, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. And so, yeah, number one on our our list is Israel. You could actually maybe even stop with Israel because it's such a big one. Never in the history of humanity has a country been wiped off the face of the earth and then returned and mm -hmm. born in a day. Shall a nation be born in a day? This rhetorical question that was not rhetorical at all because the answer was yes. And right. right now you have to have a passport to get into Israel because it is a nation uh, like never before. The second thing on our list that is uh, that I think exists today that has never existed in any other form or fashion in history is this idea, this, this thing in Revelation 13, the, when it says the image of the beast. So if number one is Israel, I would say number two, the image of the beast. You're like, Darren, what does that even mean? That's a good question because he specifically says Romans, Romans. Can you tell I wrote a book on Romans? Yeah. <laughs> Romans, Revelation. Yeah, maybe I just need to do the next series on Romans because I'm saying it anyway. Revelation 13, the second beast, verse 15, was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak 
and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. Now, forever, the image of the beast would have thought to be meant a statue of the beast. Like a, just carve a big old statue of Darren, which we haven't really talked about that. But well, yeah, I mean, maybe <laughs> after we get the new building up. Right, I mean, they give Billy Graham one. I appreciate that he got a lot of people saved or whatever, but maybe a big old statue a bust. of Darren, a bust of Darren out front <laughs> welcoming the people in the Conduit Church. Is it a talking statue? I mean, that's kind of what everybody's thought. I mean, that's what I thought. When I first taught this back, how dumb was this? I taught Revelation like when I was 30 years old to a bunch of college kids, uh, Amber and Jeremy, and they all thought it was amazing. And I'm actually, I'm kind of glad no tapes exist to that. But I would have thought it like a statue, but I don't think that anymore. The image of the beast, artificial intelligence, exists in a way. Uh, like never before, that you could breathe life into that. The idea of downloading consciousness into a, a machine, which is fanciful and futuristic. Uh, Mo, I know you've done a lot of a deep dive into that, but what what is that? Yeah, so obviously artificial intelligence has taken, um, taken on uh, or has developed into an absolute monstrosity over the past, well... 10 years, but over the past five years, like it's one of those things that's compounding. And that's the whole idea of artificial intelligence. It compounds upon itself exponentially, getting smarter and smarter every time. These are algorithms that are, I mean, these are thousands and thousands of algorithms that are compounded into a database that just keeps getting smarter and smarter and smarter. Well, the kind of the next level of artificial intelligence that you are starting to hear about here and there, um, is, is not H-I, I'm sorry, not A-I, artificial intelligence, but H-I, hybrid intelligence. Oh, no. This is where Mo scares me. <laughs> sorry. No, no, not not like you're scaring me. Like, personally, yeah. I'm scared of you. Right. But, like, what you know is scaring me because <laughs> I know you're about to teach you something that I didn't know was wrong with the world. Yeah, so A-I is starting to develop into H-I, hybrid intelligence and you know Elon Musk he's dipping his toe in the water of some of that with the Neuralink project that we've talked about um, and that is essentially this concept of implanting um, digital devices into us as humans so it's it's marrying technology and biology um, in in a way that talks to each other and so that your data you know right now all of our data, 20 years ago, when I was going through college, my data was on a, a zip drive, you know, that I would carry around in my backpack and put in my computer going to college, right? Well, obviously, now everything's in the cloud, so it's no longer even <laughs> physical. Mine was in a trapper keeper. <laughs> <laughs> then it goes to a cloud. Well, in the, in the future, maybe in the not-so-distant future, you know, that data will be stored in, in, a, in a chip or in a, believe it or not, in one of your uh, DNA. In your personal DNA. So that's where he did it. That's the thing. So so your DNA, they encode it into the DNA. Absolutely. And then what do they do with that? Well, you can access it with your mind. You can access the information? With Correct. This is the plan. Yeah, this is, this is something that they are actually working on right now. This is something that Elon's testing. I wonder if it tickles. It might. So you can, you can access this information, obviously wirelessly, um, but it's this it's again this this marrying of technology and biology h i hybrid intelligence and the other phrase that's coming out of that and you, you can look you can look this up too called transhumanism 
So we have all these con- uh, all these conversations around trans, transgender, but the other thing that's popping up is transhumanism. And how do we handle that? What does that look like? What are, are there laws around this? So when he says, I mean, uh, he was one of the first guys that said that more dangerous than North Korea, more dangerous than nuclear war. He says artificial intelligence. Our Elon Musk has been saying that for like years mm-hmm. that I can remember. Yeah. Is that what he means? Yeah, it's the natural progression of things where it's not just this this robot that we look to to be smarter. It's this robot that is then joined with and married into humans at some level. And they work together. And one of the questions that keeps coming up in some of these conversations, as you read, is, is intelligence more important than consciousness? Because at some point... Oh, geez. Those are... Those are those are right, you know, they're separated or are they together or should they be separated? Is intelligence more important than, than consciousness? Um, so when you, when it speaks of the beast being, the image of the beast being set up inside the temple in Israel, and when you're talking about H.I. H.I. So how does that, how does that work then? If his image is in Israel and someone is in Franklin, Tennessee, they take the mark, and is that more? It almost sounds like a possession, almost. Yeah. Is that is that I think kind of what it's? Yeah, there could be I mean, an element of that. This is way weirder than like 2001: A Space Odyssey, right? Like, what was the name of that computer that would speak in there? The Howard or I don't oh, know. yeah, the guy's name. I, think I don't remember. I actually saw Howard. Now I'm embarrassed. Something like that. Yeah. But um, but the idea though of it, uh, so I, I bought um, I bought the new iPhone. Uh, 12. I bought it for my because uh, my daughter's buying mine. It's a long story of childhood and whatever. Um, but they gave me a SIM card. This is the first time I've ever had one. I bought it. They gave me a SIM card um, that is actually not activated yet because I have to go to the AT&T store to activate it. And God, like, there's a, God knows there's maybe two or three things in the world that I would rather do than, you know, which is claw my eyes out, a broken glass, go to the AT&T store, all that on the same level. But this young guy says that your phone won't be able to do everything that you want it to do or that it can do without this this kind of a SIM card, this 5G SIM card, which is fascinating because I can already watch uh, TikTok and send uh, the WhatsApp mic. Come on, man, I'm watching the TikTok. It's funny. I get the talk, you know about the talking dogs and stuff? Like that stuff makes me laugh. But... But there's something on this SIM card that is different than any other SIM card that I've ever had before that is... Because everybody's worried about 5G, like, giving you the cancer or whatever, but I'm thinking about it in a way where now, for the first time ever, the world is is networked in a way that I'm unfamiliar with. Yeah. Like, I, I've joked about it, but I get better service in Togo, Africa, than I do at Buford and Jane's farm mm-hmm. in Bethesda. Mm-hmm. But the connection of it, so I th- when I think about the image of it, setting up the image from the temple, and it's right in line with you can't buy or you can't sell, uh, that whatever that might look like, that the technology is already on the way, and then imagine an image that has been given consciousness, and then, of course, who programs? I, I've, I've, that's given me chills for years with artificial intelligence, is then at some point, that intelligence, someone has to tell it what is right and what is wrong. Um, that's what God did in us. He, you know, 
the only reason that we know that murder is wrong is because God has said it's wrong. If there's no one, there's no higher power to say it's wrong, then, it, then there's, right. nobody makes any justification for that. So whatever they program into that is right or wrong. And so the image of the beast being created and then breathed life into it um, is for the first time that I'm aware of uh, actually something plausible that to me sounds way more plausible than a robot uh, yeah. that someone mm -hmm. rubs the belly or whatever uh, with it. This is like the image of the beast that could literally be worldwide coming out of your phone, um, forcing you to worship with this purchasing, buying it. And the idea, the DNA thing, though, you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm probably going to need it. Yeah, data so, storage in your DNA is definitely being researched and developed right now so as a possibility. That, could that HI then have, well, look, for the Antichrist, could they have some of his DNA? That gets in that and then is implanted in each one. I don't know. Each that's person? a good question. I don't know. I haven't read anything about that specifically. Okay. I didn't know if that's what you were saying. Well, that no. it would take someone's DNA and could do that. I took it as his consciousness being implanted into the image. Okay. That's what his life, his sozo, his widow. And so that's the image breathing life into it. But if it's hooked up to a machine that is wireless and then our DNA is programmable. From it, that makes fascinating sense that his the AI that could be in us with that intelligence into our like storing that in us. It's not that it sounds ridiculously far fetched, mm -hmm. but it's not that far fetched. What I mean by that is, you know, I can I can do all of my um, office work here in in the office, hardwired on my computer. Um, connected to, to Google and, and Google Drive, and I can have access to anything at all. I can also do that in Guatemala on my phone wirelessly. Which I, can, I have done, right? Right. You can, yeah. I can access all of my files from the cloud. I can access all the information that I would want anywhere at any time. And so really, it's just kind of the next iteration of, of data, of, um, of knowledge, of information, just being joined into again this 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 marriage of technology and biology in some way um, could perhaps be kind of what we're alluding to this this image of the beast the, the the technology is there and even more than that I think culturally and even amongst humans we're ta we're talking we're experimenting with it you know we are trying to figure this out like we are these aren't just ideas anymore like these are things in labs these are things in um, you know, in, in maybe dark corners of, right? of, of, uh, of our technology world, trying to figure some of these things out. It's mm -hmm. really interesting. Because when you think through what we've experienced just in this last year, okay, not even the last year, dear Lord, it's been nine months. <laughs> right, right. It feels, this has been the longest it feels like months, a couple year of years. Of yeah. life, <laughs> that um, part of that is that uh, verse 16, chapter 13, that it forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, you know, to receive a mark on their foreheads. Um, and we talked about what that could look like as far as you, you're marked by what you worship. And But for the first time uh, ever, the entire world fell into line with one idea at right. one time, and that's never happened the in The entire globe. Mm -hmm. Whether you're in Wanawatu, you know, Papua mm -hmm. New Guinea, or Peoria, Illinois, everybody was. And that's right. never happened before. 
And that was for a virus that turns out, I mean, it wasn't like no, nobody was bleeding out of their eyes. Right. It wasn't like, you know, things were not wrinkling up and falling off like with Ebola. Like it was mm-hmm. a, a virus that was scary. We saw scary images on the news, but I mean, we, we, the entire world folded like a napkin. Yes. When Bill Gates, you know, call me a conspiracy theory. This is just what it is. The guy who's a billionaire who makes a software that I can't stand decides what the health policy is. And he's still saying that. Right. We're going to have to shut down restaurants. It's going to be six months. It's going to be a year. Until 2022. Yeah. He, he just said that. I so, think I sent so, that link yeah, to you guys. Today, till 2022, a software right. guy that made a software that is at best subpar, <laughs> and I, you know, <laughs> prove me wrong on that, <laughs> is now, and they, yeah, it's frustrating because you hear people say that about, well, they're not epidemiologists. Darren Dunn, epidemiologist. Why does he have any right to Right. Me? Neither is he. Neither is he. He's not a doctor. He's not a medical yeah. researcher. He's not a scientist. He's a 100%. software guy telling us and it was his gates foundation that put this policy sold it to macron in france uh in germany to merkel to the who they're the ones that put it forward because of him and he's the one still calling the shots so i don't know of any other time in history where some guy now is bill gates the antichrist i I, (laughs) surely not surely whoever the antichrist is is going to build a better software than windows but (laughs) the fact is is that this guy was able to pull that off. That's never happened in history. He's not a government official. Mm-hmm. He's not a military leader. He's just a billionaire. And I think it shows kind of where we are as humanity right now in, across the globe. If, if the entire world population can fall in line to an idea out of fear, mm-hmm. um, then it, like, if that was a grand experiment, it worked. And so what is the next thing that could come down the pipe. And, and, and they're still, they're still, they still have this momentum mm-hmm. because he was yeah. just interviewed with Jake Tapper just, I mean, just a few days ago on CNN. Yeah. And he has said till 2022, we're going to, we're going to be in this. And yeah. I, so I know some of you all reached your jumping off point a while back. You know, I've been on the end a little bit here on the edge. <laughs> I'm off. Like when you tell me if I get a vaccine and now I got to keep wearing a mask, like, I just need somebody to tell me the truth at this point. Like, I've, I've, I've gotten vaccinated for almost everything um, because of my trips before. I've never had a vaccine before that said, okay, now that you've got the yellow fever thing, you still need to wear a mask and you still need to be worried about getting yellow fever because mm-hmm. you have a freaking vaccine. Yeah. So they're either the vaccine's going to work and we can all get in line or it doesn't work and we got to still wear a mask. Like, there's no middle ground right. on this in my mind unless someone, you know, again, somebody whiteboarded it out for me. Mm-hmm. But... When a billionaire is lecturing me on this, uh, I'm, it's my jumping off point with it. But I know this, 189 countries, or 191, depending on who, what you count as countries these days, all fell in line. It happened before. Uh, we've got it here now. In the history, it never happened before. So whatever, if the image of the beast, the technology exists, the power exists, and by goodness, the fear exists. The, mm-hmm. the fear of man across the world exists. We're going to be looking for a peacemaker. 100%. Right. So, right. That so we got to keep moving. The, the third thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that that we're seeing in our world right now, um, maybe it's in somewhat in line with this, is the the, the prophetic idea of a great falling away, uh, an apostasy. Donna has spoken about this in other interviews. She's taught about it here on Sunday mornings mm-hmm. uh, in Revelation eighteen, verse four. Uh, this idea. Uh, I heard another voice from heaven uh, come out of her, my people that. 
you not be partaker of her sins, speaking of Babylon, you not receive not her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And then in chapter 13, verse 14, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of the miracles, uh, had the power to uh, with the beast, saying that uh, them that dwell on the earth, they should make an image to the beast. Deception, 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 deception. And that was something that had been prophesied by Jesus, by Paul, by John. And we're seeing it now in a way that I've never seen it before. Mm -hmm. Have you in your lifetime, Donna? No, no, not at all. And well, Paul talked about it is, is second Tim, uh, not second, second Thessalonians two, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. First three. Yeah. Right. Where, where he's talking about the, um, let no man deceive you because that day, and he's talking about the return of the Lord, it, that day won't come until there is a falling away. Yeah. The falling away comes first. And in 2 Timothy 4.1, it says that in the l latter times, the later days, the last days, that people will fall away from the faith. Not faith in general. They're not falling away from Buddhism. They're not falling away from Mormonism, um, Scientology. They are falling away from the faith. They're falling away from faith in Jesus Christ. And we're seeing it like nobody's business. And again, because of the advancement of technology, we're able to see people, what is it called? Deconstructing their faith. Is yeah. that the big term now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deconstructing their faith in front of hundreds, thousands, millions of their own followers. Yeah. And happening in a way that is, um, it's almost as if prophetically they knew the internet was coming. Uh, when I had my, I had a faith crisis, which a faith crisis for me was, I just want to know that what I'm reading is true, that what this is true. But I didn't, I didn't have the internet. I didn't have a Twitter account to quote unquote, I'm just asking the questions, you know, out loud. Yeah. I, I really sought, I sought truth for it. And, but because of the proliferation of this right now, uh, it's everywhere. And so if you've got just a remote question about it and you hear somebody ask, you know, a question about, make a statement about that may or may not even be factual about the Bible, or it's taken a piece out of context mm -hmm. with it. And before long, people that are uh, former pastors, uh, former lead singers of, of bands that are just genuinely asking and struggling with their faith, falling away from it. And I'm happy to report a couple of people that I know that have been on their deconstruction. They just, they announced it too quickly because they're coming back mm. yeah. with it. Boomerang. Boomerang. Like, cause eventually if you, if you really are, if you're seeking truth, by the way, there's mm -hmm. a different than, than seeking, uh, chaos. Eventually if you seek Jesus, Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. Right. So he, he's out there, but the amount of resources that have been, uh, here and around the world to tear people's faith apart is, unprecedented as far as yeah. I know. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the great falling away, the great apostasy that was prophesied again, almost as if God knew there was going to be an internet for people to find it, you know, so right. they could get on. Um, and, and one of the things that I've, um, uh, I've heard a, a few people say, in fact, there's one guy I've actually found on Twitter who went through that whole journey, but he gets to the end of that journey and realizes that literally all he found was, uh, was just a modern progressive secular humanistic version of religion hmm. with it. Um, what's the guy that wrote the beautiful thing song, uh, younger, younger. How do I not? Michael Gunger. Michael Gunger. Gunger. Uh -huh. 
1997, I'm in uh, my little office in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a guy named Ed Gunger comes sashaying into my office to hand me a CD of his son. Oh, this is an <laughs> awesome CD of this guy. He plays guitar or whatever. And it was a 13-year-old Michael Gunger uh, that I wow. didn't sign. I didn't. Uh, but point being, he, he starts this podcast that's uh, it's with his buddy Science Mike, and they're going to tear people's faith apart. And, you know, and, and literally, if you listen to it, it is just a modern version of a secular humanist religion. They've just replaced a Christian version of it with a secular version. Mm -hmm. And there are people coming the other side of that saying that, oh, I just don't, I'm, I'm not really feeling this. I just feel like it's, I mean, I've had conversations with people that have gone down that road. And I'm praying that those continue to happen. But the fact is, is that these aren't even atheists anymore. They're anti-theists. They're out there preaching the gospel of, of atheism um, right. in, a, in a great falling away. In um, 2019, the Christian Post released a, a series of articles about believers who were leaving the faith. And it was really interesting and because they said in 2019, 65% claimed to be Christians, which was 12% down from the previous decade. But we have to keep in mind that those who call themselves Christians are the ones who are filling out applications and they think, well, I'm not Muslim, I'm not Jewish. Okay, I'm Christian. And so that's where that 65% comes from. Hmm. So that's obviously not a true 65% right. of this country who are Christians. So the articles were a bit sad, of course, because you hate reading about people who are leaving the faith. But then they get to this part, which I thought was so inspiring, because they said, the intensely religious are a strong and cohesive bunch. They are not dissuaded by the rise in secular humanism. In fact, they are emboldened by it. Huh. So there's that core group, there's that remnant group that isn't bothered by that. They're bothered, they're bothered by it in the way that they rise up and they continue to be salt and light. Right. But they're not bothered by it in, in a way that they give up. Right. They're not giving up. Wow, I love that. Mm -hmm. we, the, um, I think it's number four. <laughs> I think it's four. But one of the things that um, that we see potential right now is this idea of peace with Israel at a time when the unwalled gates, as one of the prophets said, um, mm -hmm. which right now is a mystifying thought because if you've been to Israel, it's a little jumpy over there. Like every, I mean, it's a little tense. Um, although I will say this, I've never felt safer anywhere than I'm in Israel because these guys are not screwing around when it comes to security. I've literally felt, I feel safer there than I feel in downtown right. Nashville. But the peace treaties, and one of the things that we saw uh, in Revelation was chapter six, verse two, that this man, this antichrist, that uh, he came on a white horse, not Jesus, not his white horse, uh, and its rider held a bow, uh, given a crown, but there's, there's no arrows in it. Like the idea that he's gonna conquer by peace, not mm -hmm. by war. And isn't there, there's prophecies from the Old Testament, right, Donna, that talk about this man of great man, whatever, that he would conquer with peace? Daniel chapter 9 talks specifically about him, but also mentions the, the covenant, that he will confirm a covenant with the holy people, with, with the Jews, and he'll confirm it for seven years. And the word confirm there means strengthen. So he's going to strengthen a covenant that's already in place. So when we see these peace, peace deals being made, 
and President Trump made, how many did he make? Two within like four weeks, right? Within yeah. four weeks' time, he yeah. had two of them done. And there's more on the horizon. I really believe there's going to be more before Inauguration Day. Uh, there's rumbling still that Saudi Arabia right. is interested, that more there in the, um, in the Middle East region are interested, the Indonesia is talking with them. Well, they just announced Morocco. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, Morocco last, last week. was just announced, yes. And that's a big deal. Morocco is considered a quote-unquote moderate Islamic country, mm -hmm. but those, um, hypothetically speaking, that I may or may not know in Morocco, um, can tell you that even moderate Islam is dangerous for Christians there. Mm. Um, so the most moderate of Islam says that you can't convert. In fact, it's actually harder there than even in well, a, a Middle Eastern country that may or may not start with a P um, because they actually have very well-funded uh, police, very well-funded secret service. So there are churches there that we have may or may not, hypothetically someone may or may not have helped in, in this country. Um, they can meet two or three months at a time in an apartment and they have to move to another apartment. Uh, and then to another apartment mm, because wow. they they will find them that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but for them to make a deal mm -hmm. with Israel, because let me tell you how much Israel cares about that. Like I remember what, the first time I went to Israel, uh, of all the stamps I had in my passport, it was a stamp to Morocco that the um, uh, mm. El Al security wanted to ask me about the most. To, have you ever flown El Al, Donna? No. Uh -uh. Okay. Never. Oh, oh man. Uh, it, it was a scene. I'm going to tell you that right mm -hmm. now. I, I wanted to fly it because it's El Al, and I thought this will be awesome. And, you know, there's, they're secure. Because, I mean, the actual, the president of El Al CEO, has made, he makes fun of our security at our airports. He calls it safety theater. <laughs> um, but one of the things they did was they put me in this room, and I'm just waiting for this giant dude to come in and just hammer me on what, you know, your passports. And they're, they're not, they're completely unconcerned that I'm a missionary or whatever. So I'm sitting there. Waiting, and the door opens, and I swear to you, one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen dressed in a uniform walks in and sits right across from me and completely threw me off. And then she starts asking me these questions, and I'm like, <laughs> I was flustered. I'm like, where's my wife? I, um, and I learned later that was part of their technique. Like, right. that was a technique. Like, like the they, interrogation yeah, technique. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, what she did for before she became a member of the L All Secret Service, whatever. But I mean, I was like, uh, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Like, I, then I, really, oh, I got played, you know, but I didn't, I didn't have anything to hide. They let me get on the plane. But uh, the point is, what was the point of any of that, actually? The point is that they know that Morocco is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And the fact that a, a flight, a plane went from Tel Aviv to uh, Riyadh in, in Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. for the first time ever, this is a big deal. And just today, you know, Trump, before he gets out, he's, he, he's strengthening one of the um, sanctions against Iran. Mm -hmm. the, the, look, God bless whatever president we have in the United States, but President Obama's policies when it came to Iran I'm just a guy from Tennessee, and even I know this was naive. Mm -hmm. When you drop a cargo plane with a pallet full of cash into Iran, yep. and then think, well, we're all going to get along mm -hmm. now. 
it was deliciously naive. Mm -hmm. And that's why these guys are making treaties right now with yes, Israel. Absolutely. Is they all know that Iran's nuts too. Right. So the friend, uh, my, you know, the enemy mm -hmm. of my uh, enemy is my right. friend. That's and, happening. In, uh, and you want, the, you want the party with the strongest military yeah. in the Middle East. You want to be part of their party. Yeah, and that's what, if you're Saudi Arabia right now, and you've got these guys all lining up in Israel with you, and then when, you know, right. that nut job in Iran does right. something crazy, you, you want him on your side. So these treaties, which are part of the Abraham Accords, I, I mean, I just fully believe this is it. This is the covenant that Daniel prophesied about in chapter 9, that this is going yeah. to be the covenant that the Antichrist will confirm. Again, it means strengthen. Somehow he's going to add longer legs to it, whatever right. that looks like at that time. But he's going to strengthen it and make the entire world look at him like he is the architect of peace and he is the best guy. He's the man with the plan yeah. for the world to bring it all together. Kumbaya moment. And again, in the history since, since Jesus' ascension 2,000 years ago, for 1,950 of those years, right, or 40 of those years, there was no... Israel to have peace mm -hmm. with, and then there's an Israel to have peace with, and the first thing that happens is like a war on every front, and for the first time in 2,000 years, not only is there an Israel, there is an Israel where there are peace treaties in place that uh, were unimaginable. Mm -hmm. Lord, and a yeah. year ago this was unimaginable. Right, it was. Um, yeah. like a year ago, it's unimaginable. 19 of the 20 hijackers on 9-11 were from Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. there, there are extremists there. Women were only able to drive, like what, two years ago? like legally drive mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia. Right. But treaties are in place. The, the, the mm -hmm. last one, uh, uh, Revelation 6-4, we'll say lawlessness because it's the word that Jesus used. But uh, Revelation 6-4, to take peace from the earth. Mm -hmm. the, the, this idea of uh, lawlessness, um, Matthew 24, at a, at a time when lawlessness would be on the rise. Abound. Abound, Jesus yeah. says lawlessness will abound, right? Meaning it's going to increase. And we like to think of lawlessness as violence. It's just violence. That's what we want to think of it as. But it's beyond that. It, the wording actually means it's a callous disregard for God's authority. And it started as early as Genesis 3 when Satan said to Eve, did God really say that? Mm. Hmm. Did he really say that to you? I don't think so. I don't think that's what he meant. You know, it's a twisting of God's word. It's a perverting of it to to meet us where we are, to meet our desires. So, um, so when you hear phrases like defund the police in our country, and I, I hesitate to say that because then it makes it an American-centric thing, and that's not the, the Bible is not American-centric. It's Earth-centric, right? But in the American-centric version of this, for the last year, we have seen uh, a movement for uh, justice for African Americans, which is a good thing, to want justice and peace, was hijacked by defund the police, was hijacked by Black Lives Matter, not people making a statement, but by Black Lives Matter, an organization, which is a neo-Marxist group. I mean, it's funny, you, you think about like what people say, what do they mean? What do you mean by you say this? Let, let them tell you what they mean and what they mean, what they, they say, which is we want a Marxism. This is the, the idea of the Black Lives Matter organization 
which is whatever, raised a billion dollars. There's not a single park for African-Americans. There's not a benefit that they have provided other than burning crap down. Lawlessness. So is it happening in Portland right now? Are they not? Are they like negotiating like right now in Portland? Or is that, am I, is that no. six hours old? Is that, is that so <laughs> That's yesterday? That's another one. That's so six hours ago, Darren. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, uh, so they agreed, the government, the Portland local police have agreed to shut it down. Like they are, they've been negotiating this autonomous zone. Jeez. Um, but then, and, but then the, uh, the mayor of Portland, I guess that's his name, the mayor, um, then like apologized, sent out a video, I think it was today or yesterday, apologizing for his tone. <laughs> his oh, tone? And how it offended. <laughs> that guy's tone? And how it offended, it could have offended those folks uh, in terms of, oh, you know, asking them to leave, even though they're just causing all kinds of violence. And I mean, it's an absolute dumpster fire in Portland of lawlessness at the highest level. Because that's really what it feels like when it comes to lawlessness. It feels like that, but it also feels a little bit like, um, and I'm interested the language you were using with that, Donna, because I'm the love of many will grow cold because of lawlessness. Like mm-hmm. I look around, whether it's in Hong Kong and what's happening there, whether it's in China and what's happening there with uh, human rights violations that, or even in our own South Asia, the work that we're doing, like it's. There's a lawlessness to allowing people to being enslaved with it. And the idea that um, the love of many could grow cold in a way feels a lot like what, um, and maybe I'm getting this wrong because the way that you described it actually feels pretty right, but there's so much happening that I don't know what to do. So I become callous to it. Like I just, I'm tuning it all out now because it's just too much. It's overwhelming. And so you end up hiding, um, not in fear, but in confusion, uh, because someone else will have to take care of it. But the love of many will grow cold mm. was what Jesus said. So whatever it is, whether it's defund the police, whether it's what's happening with the, the, uh, the human rights in China, with slavery in South Asia, with um, with what's happening even literally in uh, with the, the pandemic, you know, because there's laws in that. But the lawlessness of it is that uh, people are beginning to rise up now uh, and protest against mm-hmm. it um, around the world. I, I know this, and we got to be, we got to, we got to wrap this up. People got to get to work. Somebody's sitting in their driveway right now. My wife's waiting for him to come in the house. You know, <laughs> tell, tell him you're coming, baby. Finish <laughs> this podcast. We're about to land this thing. Um, all these things, I do believe, we are at the end. Um, when you say the last days, you know, what do you mean, right? Last days. Well, we've been in, we've been in the last days since the days of Jesus. Started. I mean, they, yep. the writers of the New Testament, they were called the last days. They, yep. they were in the last days then. We're in the last days now, but we are, the we last are, of we the are last. rounding the bend. We are rounding the bend. Yep. Don't know how long that bend will be, but uh, the it's, end is it's the last in sight. Sure. And so what does that mean for us? Like, what do we do about that? Because if, if I've taught, we've taught collectively the entire book of Revelation, um, and all we've done is serve to get people really fascinated um, about things, that's part of it, but that's not the goal of it. The goal is as the day approaches. Mm-hmm. Donna, what advice do you have for 
believers um, hearing this right now, waking up to what's going on, what advice do you have for them as the day approaches of how we live our lives uh, right now? I had a friend who said she chooses not to know what goes on in the world. She doesn't want to watch the news. So she chooses not to know what's going on in the world because she prefers to live in her happy bubble. So my advice is don't be that person. (laughs) (laughs) Pop the bubble. Right, right, right. Please do not be that person. We're supposed to be salt and light, and we can't do that if we are living in a bubble. And, you know, the Bible says make the most of every opportunity. So if that means you're on social media, you're not blessing anyone by showing them a picture of what you're eating or your new pair of shoes or your manicure or what color you have your hair. I've seen all of these on my feed just recently. But what's the worst that's going to happen to you if you present the gospel on there? Someone going to unfriend you? Is that the worst that's going to happen? Well, let it be. Let it be, Lord. Let it be so. Um, But make the most of every opportunity, wherever you are. If that means you're on social media, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your church, because now is not the time to bury your head in the sand. Um, Now is the time not to have cold feet, but now is the time to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because he says, look up. I am returning soon, and by everything that we see that's happening in the world, we know that things are looking up. Yeah. Mo, what would you say? Yeah, just kind of echo what Donna said and what we even said last week. Um, I think there's just a sense of that we have to have a heightened sense of awareness, and along with that comes some vigilance um, for the sake of the light, for the sake of the salt. We need to be vigilant and um, seeing what's around us for our own protection, for the protection of others, um, but so that we can spread and show the truth of, of what's happening. Um, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of confusion in the world right now, in our own country, um, which how many weeks are we since the election? Since we, uh, we had our first podcast after the election. <laughs> We're six weeks, six weeks, I think, and you know we still don't have some answers there. Um, so there's a lot of confusion and people are frustrated and, and I, I just, I kind of keep going back to, um, empathy over apathy and, um, and having a heightened awareness, just, just look outside, look past your bubble and ask questions, ask the questions and be willing to listen to the answers too. you know, like do the work and, 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 and I'm grateful for our listeners because I, I, I hope maybe we're one of those resources for folks. We can be a resource for folks to help hopefully kind of dig through all the, the crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, um, I would add only to that, that, uh, this is such a wild time to be alive. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's unique. It's unique yeah. and it's exciting. Um, the disciples would have given anything to have seen this time in this season and we have uh, the opportunity to live in fear, um, to b- bury weapons in the back of the property and mm-hmm. prepare for the... But man, I just don't see any of that from Jesus. Like, I just don't. I, I don't see cowering, and I don't see also uh, burying weapons and, and isolating. 
but to go forward, I, I have this image in my head that is probably not theological and uh, sound, and it's for sure, um, <laughs> I don't know, you don't know until it happens, but like, I would love it if when the return of Christ happens, that all of us are like reaching for the ground, holding on, like, I just got one more, th one more person I want to tell, <laughs> like, one more thing like I want to do, like, right. like that it's not about like that I just, oh, finally, I just get to get out of here. But I want to be found in a way where I want as many people to go with us as possible. I want heaven to be populated uh, in the hundreds of thousands by those that have been impacted by just the work of us at Conduit alone, you know, that we can look around and see that. And so as the day approaches, you know, Hebrews 10, 24, uh, provoke one another to those, right, uh, to do good and, and love and good deeds and to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as you see the day approaching. Like my advice for you as believers is we weren't meant to do this alone. You know, you talk about the early church. I used to talk about the early church a lot and like, oh, let's be like the early church. They only do these four things in Acts 2.42. And I still believe all of that. But I skipped the part. There was a reason they were together like that. And that was because they were persecuted. That was because there was great... Uh, trauma going on around them. So they got together because they needed each other. And Hebrews 10, 25, as the day approaches, uh, is it no accident that the one thing that Satan wants to do right now is divide the body of Christ, keep us in our homes mm -hmm. as the day approaches. When Jesus said, through, you know, through whoever the author of Hebrews is, who I think is Paul, that as that day approaches, don't separate into your own homes, but get together and meet and gather and inspire mm -hmm. one another to love and to good deeds because we can, uh, and it's happening all over the world, one of the greatest revivals, uh, it's already happening in, in talking to them about going to the land of Daniel and those uh, former terrorists that are now Christians starting churches and evangelizing in the, the land of Daniel, Babylon, right, is happening. Mm -hmm. There are these brothers and sisters are being rescued from these kilns in Southeast Asia. They're not only starting little churches, they're going back into the kilns to minister mm. themselves now. Wow. People are coming to Christ in un, uh, in record numbers. We'll never know about that because, you know, Jake Tapper is too busy, you know, kissing up to Cuomo. But And Bill Gates. And Bill Gates. Right. But the one who knows, right, the, the kingdom of God is advancing with or without uh, Ted Turner or CNN or any mm -hmm. one of these guys. The kingdom of God is advancing. And so get your eyes up. Look up. When you see these things happen, look up because your redemption draws nigh. And these next two weeks as we end Revelation 22, I want you to know the very last verse of Revelation, the very last verse of the Bible is grace of Jesus be with you. The last word, the final word of Revelation is grace. It's not works. It's not fear. It's grace. And if you are somehow made it to the end of this and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I would love for that to be you to be one of those that gathers with us in eternity uh, to, to be part of that great cloud of witnesses. Um, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, info at conduitchurch.com. Um, you can find us there. We, we have people that would love to pray with you, whether you're in Nashville or wherever you are in the world. We want to pray. We want you to know Christ um, just like we do so that you know that in these uncertain times that you serve a certain Jesus. Mo, how do they find us if they are looking for conduit? 
ConduitChurch.com. That's our portal that will uh, lead you to all the different things that we're doing, all the different mission work that we're doing. Um, and our live stream, it'll point you to our live stream, which is on Sundays at 10 a.m. here Central Time in Franklin, Tennessee. And so, yeah, you can get caught up with all of, uh, all of what we're doing at ConduitChurch.com. Nice. Donna, thank you for being with us again. Well, thank you both. Donna's got her own fan base out there. Like they notice when she ain't here. Like I, I, I catch, I catch heat for that. <laughs> Mo, well, that's thank, kind. Mo, thank you for being here, and Micah, thanks for producing us today. Over there, cranking it. Uh, we will see you if hopefully Sunday. Um, if you're in the Franklin area or online, and if not, we'll catch you next week on our deeper podcast. Bye.